Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. Acts chapter 4, I want to read something to you. This is going to mess with some of you this morning, okay? And I hope it does. Since the whole congregation of believers, verse 32, the whole congregation of believers were united as one, one heart and one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their possessions. Not one said, this is mine. You can't have it. They shared everything. Someone say everything. And the apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the master Jesus and grace was on them all. Bow your heads as we pray. Father, help in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want you to see something. First of all, when we talk about a contagious church, I need you to understand that the church isn't where you're sitting at right now. This isn't a church. This is a theater. Monday through, Monday through Saturday, it's a school amphitheater where they have plays, where they have, it's a building. It's made with rock mortar. It's put together with concrete. This is just a building. The presence of God doesn't dwell in bricks, in a place of brick and mortar. It was the presence of God from the very foundation of the earth was designed to dwell in mankind. When God created Adam, God shared his breath with Adam. Out of all creation, only Adam received the breath of God. Everyone else was created by the spoken word, but only Adam did God come face to face with and share his breath with. Don't get it twisted. You weren't created for worship. God is not hard up for a worshiper. God doesn't need, he has angels to worship him. That, that's not, you weren't created, you weren't formed, you weren't fashioned for worship. You were fashioned to carry the presence of God. You were put together to carry the breath of God. That's when he breathed into Adam. Adam carried that breath. That was the whole idea. From the foundation of the earth, God wanted to have fellowship with man. And when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die just to take away your sin. He died to get the breath of God back into mankind again. So that you could have relationship with God. It's bigger than him dying for your sin. Sin was the obstacle that kept the breath of God from dwelling in you. Come on, say it again, pastor. And so you need to understand this morning that it's bigger than your sin. He didn't just die on the cross to take away your sin. He came to get the sin out of the way so that the breath of God can return to your life once again. That's why I always say if the breath of God, the breath you have is on loan, baby. It's not yours. So how dare you use something on loan in a bad way? If I, if I borrow a lawnmower from my neighbor, I'm not going to be running it over rocks because it's not mine. It's on loan. You following me? How dare you take something that don't belong to you and use it to tear down someone? That's God's breath. That's why you should use your breath to worship. To use your breath to build up, to encourage, to challenge. See, the Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the living God. And so if God's presence isn't, that's why when I, I share with you last week, God wasn't tripping when the, when the temple in Jerusalem was torn down. Because God didn't dwell in the building. God was, he even told them, if you disrespect my name, I'll have this place torn down. He was never impressed with the building. God didn't, wasn't designed to dwell in the building. He was designed to dwell in you. Someone say amen. 
So with that, I want you to understand something this morning is that we had talked about that the contagious church, there were certain things about them. Number one, they had been with Jesus. Number two, they were united. Number three, they were obedient to the word of God. Number four, they were unashamed. Number five, they seized the opportunities to walk with God. Number six, they stood strong. And today I want you to see is that they were generous. They were a generous church. I want you to understand something. We all love to be around generous people. Think about it. No one wants to go out to dinner with someone that has them alligator arms. You, you ever been out with them kind of people? They're, they're the kind of people that invite you out to eat and then they order extras. And then when the bill comes, all of a sudden they can't reach the tab. I'm, I'm a blesser. That, that's just, that's, I, I love picking up the tab. If, I, if we're, we're going out, I'm usually the one that's going to pick up the tab. That's just the bottom line. I'm not one of those guys that, you know, when the tab comes, I end up in the bathroom. Uh, just, that's just, oh, excuse me, I got to go. That's just, not, that's just not who I am. That's not how, I, how we work things. I'm, I've always been a blesser. That's what my dad taught me. But it's a trip when people invite me out to eat, and then the tab comes, and they don't even reach. At least give me a lean. Just give, just give me, you know what I'm talking about? Just give me the lean. Like you're, act like you're, you ain't got no wallet. Just act like you're reaching for something so I can say, no, no, it's okay. We got you. I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, I'm dealing with some stuff. When you're sick, some stuff comes out, all right? A contagious church is a generous church. And I want you to see or take a look at what's going on in the early church, okay? It says the whole congregation of believers. Everyone say believers. believers. I want you to see what the, the Greek word for believers there, it's a verb. It's an action word. And so when we call it, the, the, the church used to be known as believers, which meant you be believed in something. That you, that you had something that you had faith in. That there was something that you were putting your heart, your soul, your mind into. This word belief means to have faith in, to be convinced of, to trust on, to rely on, to have confidence in. Belief is faith in action. So when I say I am a believer, I am taking my faith and I'm putting my belief into action. See, the problem is the world doesn't know what we believe. Because we say we believe in one thing, but our lifestyle shows something totally different. The Sunday morning Christian doesn't match with the Friday night clubbing. <laughs> Things don't match up because our lifestyles don't match the thing that we say we believe or the things that Jesus valued. When you call yourself a Christian, you are saying that you value the things that Jesus valued or you live the lifestyle that Jesus lived. And whenever we don't do that, that word belief also signifies a complete confidence and trust and complete surrender and heartfelt obedience. So understand this. Whenever there is disobedience, whenever you disobey the word of God, what you are actually doing is putting into operation disbelief. Whenever I disobey the word of God, I am actually operating in disbelief, not just disobedience, disbelief. Because when it says to forgive your neighbor or to forgive those that offend you, and you're like, but you don't know what they did to me. 
You are putting more trust in your own feelings than you are putting trust in the word of God. When you don't give, what you're saying is this, is I don't trust God can provide for me. And so you're operating in disobedience rather than in belief. Are you following where I'm going with this? And so I need you to understand this morning that when we disobey, it's not just disobedience. You are actually operating as an unbeliever. Please say that again, Pastor. So the Greek word for unbelief literally means disobedience. When you don't believe what's written in black and white in the word of God, you are operating in disobedience, not just disbelief. It's bigger than that. Well, I just made a choice not to obey, not not to do what the word said. God understands. No, we don't. This is the whole foundation of the kingdom is based on faith. Without faith, no man can. It's It's not hard. It's impossible. To please God. So I need you to understand something as we take a look. Faith gauges your relationship with God. I can tell what kind of relationship you have with God based on your faith. Based on your action. And this is a trip. This is where Christians get squirrely. Okay. This is where Christians get real trippy. Now you can't judge me. Only God is my judge. (laughs) Don't judge me. Don't. You know, know, I love this on social media. Everyone says, you know, don't judge me when... Just because your sin is different than mine. To everyone get real defensive about their sin. Like, don't be judging me, man. Come on, bring it. Everyone get real defensive about their sin. But do you understand that when Paul talked about us not judging, he was saying that we are not to judge the world. In Corinthians, he was referring to not judging those outside the world. He's talking about don't hang out with those that are sexually immoral. And then he says this, but I'm not talking about those that are in the world. Because if those are in the world, then you'd have to leave the world to be away from them. He goes, I'm talking about those that are practicing sexual immorality in the church. He goes, "Those, those in the church, we have to judge. Those in the church that say that they have a label, that they're believers, that they are followers of Christ, those individuals we have a responsibility to judge because when you say you believe one thing but do another, then we got to judge that. We got to deal with that. We, we gotta, we gotta, when I say judge, I don't mean just tear you down, rip you up and start throwing rocks at you like the, like, like the adulterous woman. That's not what I'm talking about. But we got to deal with the thing. We got to deal with the issue. And many times in church, we just want to be, we want to do our own thing. We don't want to answer to anyone. But the reality is if you call yourself a believer, we have a responsibility to be judged. I got about three out of five every at, just, just clapping. Not everyone is really down into that. They're like, I don't, I don't know, Pastor. I don't know. I'm not sure I, not sure I agree with Paul on that one. <laughs> Believers implies faith or belief in something or someone. See, I, I need you to understand and cl- clap if you agree with this statement. I don't think believer or people in the world are turned off by our faith. I think the people in the world are turned off by our actions. It's because it's not, they're not against Jesus. They're against the fact that the Jesus people don't do what Jesus does. And so, so we're bringing, we're bringing, we're bringing 
a shade on Christ. We're putting down Christ for who he is because of the way we live, because it doesn't add up. They're looking at us and they're saying, this doesn't add up. Now take a look at verse 43, or verse uh, 32 and 33 of chapter four. It says, the whole congregation of believers were united. Everyone say united. One heart, one mind. Can you imagine that? Unity is critical to momentum. In order, whether it be a football team, whether it be a, a, or a school, whether it be a business, getting everyone on the same page, moving in the same direction is, is imperative in order to create momentum. Everyone has to do their job. Everyone has to be on the same page. If everyone's doing their own thing, it's hard to create momentum. But unity is, is paramount to this. It says one heart. Everyone say one heart. Take a look at this word for heart. Heart is cardia. That's where we get when we talk about someone going to cardiac arrest. It's referring to the heart. The heart is not just talking about uh, the, the physical heart. It's talking about the true nature of the man. According to uh, uh, scholars, there's three basic meanings when we look at the Greek word for cardia. Cardia could be the physical organ of the heart. It could also be the source of your emotions or, you know, man, I, I love you with all my heart. It's that place that everything flows from. And also it's figuratively used as the core of anything. Man, he is the heart of that team. He is the heart and soul of that of that ministry. So heart can be the center of whatever. When it says that they were of one heart, they had come together with one heart, with one mission, with one purpose. They All their emotions were coming together with one mind. So one heart, everyone say heart, heart. and one mind. Everyone say mind. mind. The Greek word for mind is suke. Now, that word suke is where we, where we uh, focus in on the literal mind of a person, the soul of an individual. This is the seat of your emotions. This is where you make decisions. This is where you determine, you know, do I date him or do I not? Do I take that job or do I not? And based on the information you receive from your suke, from your soul, that all this information comes in, that's the seat of where you make these decisions from. It's your emotional seat as well. It's the soul, the life of a person. It's also the breath or life of a person. When God breathed into Adam, he was literally giving Adam his suke, his soul. He brought it to life at that point. See, I need you to understand it's that seat and these guys had one heart, one mind. Let me put it to you another one. one. One passion, one purpose. One passion, one purpose. And whenever you come together with that kind of agreement, I think things start happening and, and so someone all of a sudden stood up and it it caused it, it caused a, a phenomenon to take place because how many know for the most part most folk are pretty stingy she's waving her hand <laughs> amen <laughs> take that last piece of pizza and you know when the bill comes, you're not necessarily, everyone's divvying up how much they need to pay. You just want to make sure you don't have to pay more than you're supposed to. Everyone making sure they're giving what they're supposed to. Something happened to the early church. Caused generosity. 
it wasn't even written anywhere with said that they had to. People started selling surplus. Now, now get this. I'm not telling you to go out and sell your house or sell your car. They were selling extra. They had an extra piece of land. They had an extra boat. They had an extra car. They had a motorcycle that's been sitting in the garage for a minute. They had, they had all this equipment there. They had a PS3 that they haven't touched. And they, they started putting, having garage sales and selling stuff. And they would take the money and they would walk over to the apostles and drop the money at the apostles' feet. And say, you give it to whoever need, has a need within the body. I, I need you to understand something. The government should have never been the one responsible for taking care of the needs of the people that were broke in the church. That should never have been, uh, welfare and things like that should have never even been in existence in regards to the church. The church should have had the ability and the resources to step up and to take care of our own when our own were going through any trouble. Whether it be medical, whether it be physical, whatever it was, that church in that day stood up and took care of whatever needs were going on in the body of Christ. Why? Because they were a family. And love caused generosity. What they, they, they were so grateful for what the apostles had done with for them that shared the gospel with them. What Jesus had done for them, they found themselves beginning to sell to help meet the needs of people around them. And why, why would they do this? What, it, what compels a person to start selling land, to start selling cars, boats, and just giving the money without any expectation of anything in return? It's called love. And love causes generosity. And we live in a time today where everyone's just trying to get theirs. Just trying to get by. Especially, come on, folk, especially in the Bay Area. You, you try, you're just trying to survive. And you think about breaking off a piece to someone that's in need. You're like, well, what about my need? Who's going to help me? The early church was so contagious because they were so generous. Man, who wouldn't want to be a, com a part of a community like that? Come on, think about it. You're, you're going, I'm not talking about that, that the early church took care of that, man, I got cable, but I want, I want premium cable, man. I want, I want more channels. I don't got enough channels. The church didn't come together to take care of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about people that were hungry, people that didn't have a home people that had some medical issues that were going on or the church rose up without even a question is like hey we're gonna so we got your back you're, you're not you're not just my you're not just a, a, a church member you're family to me because Jesus is our God is our father I'm gonna be here to take care of you we're gonna step up and whatever you need you have uh, and and they weren't asking for it it's not like someone told them hey you need to sell this you need to sell that you need to get rid of that and give it to me no it was a move of the Holy Spirit on their life that caused them to say I just want to do this to help you out see this is the thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to just say this and then move on because I, I, when it comes to money, I hate preaching on money. Yet it was the number one subject Jesus spoke on. Jesus spoke on money more than he spoke about heaven and hell. Because he knew that the fight for your soul would not be between Satan and God. It would be between money and God. Because you would never, God, God knew that you, you loved him enough that you wouldn't give your heart to Satan. So he said, you cannot serve, not both Satan and God, but you can't serve money and God. 
for the love of money. Not money, love of money. I, I need to speak to you because I need you to understand God is not against you having money. God wants you to be blessed. Say it again, Pastor. God wants you to be blessed. Okay? Otherwise, you wouldn't say, yeah, I want you to be the head and not the tail, a lender and not a borrower. How can you lend unless you have money? Right? So he wants you to have money. The key is he doesn't want money to have you. Money's a tool. So I, I need you to see that they, that early church was generous. And who wouldn't want to be part of this community? Look at verse uh, 34. Still with me? We're, we're going to close in a moment, so stay with me here, okay? We're almost done. So it turned out that not a, not a person among them was needy. Come on, folks. Not a person among them was needy. Those who owned fields or homes sold them and bought a brought the price of sale to the apostles and made an offering of it. They gave it. And then the apostles distributed it according to the people's need. Now, notice this. No one forced them to do it. The, the, Pop, the apostle Peter wasn't standing up there. Okay, I want everyone this week, put your house on the market. I need you to sell it because we're going to start meeting some needs. It, it was organic. People started doing this on their own as a response to the love of God in their lives. They started giving. I know when God is moving, when generosity begins to take place. I know that God is moving when generosity begins to happen. And no one is looking to get a pat on the back because of it. See, I, I need you as we look, look, look what happens here. Verse uh, 36. He says, Joseph called the apostles, called by the apostles Barnabas, which meant son of comfort. What a cool name. Barnabas, son of comfort. Now, whenever Barnabas came, he was the one, that only one that believed in Paul when he got saved, or Saul when he got saved. He was the only one willing to partner with him. If every one of us needs a Barnabas in our lives, folks, people, you know, same way Kanye just got saved. There's a Barnabas that's connected to him to help navigate him through that. Someone has to believe in you in order to come alongside of you and help you get to where God wants you to be in life. We all need a son of comfort. We all need someone on our, our shoulder that's going to walk us out, that's going to comfort us, that's going to encourage us. You can't walk this walk alone. You need someone to come alongside. Look what it says. He says, it was a Levite born in Cyprus. Uh, who sold a field that he owned, brought the money, and he made an offering of it to the apostles. See, it, there, there was a common cause that was going on here. And imagine a place, now, now catch this as I close this morning. Imagine a place where there is no need. You're, you're having a hard time with that. Because in our, in our limited mindset, we can't see that. Come on, just, just, just break with... Hang with me for a second. Think of a place where there is no need. I didn't say want. I said need. I want the Raiders to be undefeated, but that ain't, that's not happening. Imagine a place where there is no need. Every need is met. Come on. Not a child hungry, not a child molested, not a family homeless. Everything 
taken care of. Can you imagine a place like that? That sure sounds a whole lot like heaven. Are you following me? And yet this is the environment, the atmosphere that the early church created. An atmosphere of heaven where needs were met. Where not, not only were they healing people, but they were meeting physical needs as well. You see, I need you to understand, this is why Jesus prayed this. When the disciples said, teach us to pray, he says this in Matthew 6, 9. He tells them, with a God like loving you like this, you can pray a very sim- simply like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. This is the message version. Set the world right. Do what's best. As above, so below. In other words, set it right. I love that that statement. I preached on it for a minute. That set it right. In other words, God, Jesus understood this. There's something wrong in our world. But when you pray, I want you to pray in a manner that has the ability to take what's wrong and make it right. Every one of you is has the ability to be the remedy to a problem that's going on here on earth. That it's time for us to open our eyes that when you're walking down the street and they see the needs that are going on, we have a responsibility to show generosity and that generosity isn't always with your wallet. Money is the cheapest thing that you can give to an individual. Sometimes they need your time or they need your talent. Sometimes your treasure is the last thing that they need. I want to challenge you to open your eyes. I want to, we need to be a contagious church, a church of generosity. And we're getting ready next week, starting on the 17th, we start our Operation Christmas Child Week. We start the week that we start gathering things together. You have the ability as a family, as an individual, to put together five or ten boxes. You have the ability to grab things together and just from even at work to put some things together to touch a life that otherwise wouldn't get any. Anything or wouldn't even know the love of God. Generosity has to be shown. I, I, we have to set it right. Worship team, if you would help me. In other words, there's something wrong here, and that's what Jesus came to take care of. John 3:16. What's it say? For God so loved the world that he that he what? That he what? God so loved the world that he love creates giving. Love is always the fruit. Giving is always the fruit of the root of love. When people don't want to give, it goes back to a question of love. Because you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Love is, the, love is literally the seedbed that causes us to give. I'm not collecting an offering right now. It's not about an offering. It's about a lifestyle. It's about us opening our eyes and seeing our responsibility to love and to give. Generosity is birthed out of love. Now, I love what 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says. It's this. You each must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Man, I can't, I can't strong arm you into giving. I ain't going to pat you down after service. We have never checked someone's giving record before we allowed them to come into church and enjoy a service. It's not who we are. 
Don't give reluctantly or respond to pressure, for God loves what? It's like the little boy who <laughs> went to church. His mom gave him a quarter and a dollar. Went to Sunday school and it was time to give. He gave his offering after church. Mom asked him, so what'd you give? He said, I was going to give the dollar. Then I heard the preacher say, God loves a cheerful giver. And I sure be a lot happier with the dollar than I would with a quarter. <laughs> so I gave God the quarter and I bought an ice cream after church with the dollar. <laughs> Last night, and I don't share this for, for recognition, but feeling sick, we went to our, our, our leadership meeting last night at the church. Just couldn't wait to get home, but I didn't have gas. We had enough to get to the office, but not enough to get home. So my wife is coughing, she's hacking, I'm hacking, and we pull up, just pull over to the gas station, I'll put gas before we, we head home. And so I stop and start pumping and I notice a van sitting there and a gentleman talking to one of the other cars. I was just pumping gas and didn't even, didn't even I was so just kind of out of it. And I peeked around the pump and the moment I peeked around the pump, the guy came towards me. And he didn't speak English. He was a foreigner. And I won't tell you the nationality, but he couldn't speak English and I couldn't speak his language. But all he kept on asking for, I could tell he had enough to say money. And I don't carry cash. And so I told him, man, I, I don't have any cash, but we start fumbling around the glove compartment and whatever, and we were able to pull up about four bucks and handed him like four bucks. And he went immediately, put it in his car and, and starts pumping it in his car. And, the sliding door opens up in the van and I see a little girl sitting in the back. And I see his, when the light goes on, his wife sitting up front, who I think is his wife. And I just think as a father, that was me. Standing there in front of my daughter and in front of my wife, not being able to put gas or to get us where we need to go how that would make me feel like a man. It affected me. I told my wife, I said, I don't know if it's a scam or not, but I just feel like the Spirit of God's telling me to fill this tank. So I went over there and I just told him, I said, hey, let me, let me, we're trying, trying to communicate and I just pointed at the pump to the gas car. And he kind of shakes his head and so I put it in and I start going and when it reaches $5, he goes, okay, thank, thank you, thank you. I'm like, mm-mm, higher. They got to 10 or 15, and he's like, no, he starts waving his hands like this. No, 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 I'm okay, okay, okay. And he looks at his wife, and tears start coming down his face. At that point, I got to go all the way. Once the, once the tears are there, once tears show up, it's a done deal. I'm like, oh. Hey, dude, can I do an oil change on your car, too? Rotate the tires. Filled it up. 
But one thing I know is this, is after I got done filling up this car, put the pump back on, and he's bowing and he's saying thank you. I told him, listen, that wasn't me. Jesus filled your tank. One thing I do know is this. It may have filled his tank, but I know that I filled his soul. I don't know how your generosity is going to express itself. But if you're a believer in Christ, I want you to stand to your feet right now. All right. Okay. Tells me you believe in, in him and you believe in. Just want to make sure we're on the same page, okay? So if we're a believer, every one of us has a responsibility to be generous. So your homework this week, find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. However that looks, let's open our eyes to what's going on around us. Because the way I was feeling, I just wanted to get home. But we were able to make an impact. I don't know how that impact looks later on. For all I know, they, they just drove on. I mean, we got over on them. But I know that I was obedient to my father. Come on, just lift your hands all over the place. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash CWC Bay Area.